This week on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast, we continued the Follow Jesus Winter class with Pastor Travis and Kendra Deans as they discussed the spiritual discipline of studying the Bible. All right, we'll go ahead and uh, jump in, get started. Um, I'll open us up in prayer and then we'll, we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for this evening, this time to just gather before you, Lord, and, and dig into uh, the glorious thing that is, is your word, Lord, this incredible revelation that you've given to us to teach us about you, teach us how to live, Lord. I pray for our time this evening that, uh, Lord, you would open our eyes to you to more of who you are, to deeper knowledge of you, Lord, and let us put that into practice as we seek to shape our lives and, uh, and live for you, Lord, and, and have our lives reflect you to the world around us, Jesus. So guide our time this evening. Give us your wisdom. Um, Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, Nick, can you shut those doors for me? Thank you. All right. Um, anybody need a packet from last week? I can't remember. All right, here you guys go. All right, so last week we covered just kind of setting everything up, introduction, where we were going to be going, um, and then we started looking at the three-step process for how to study our Bibles, and we looked at observation. So any any questions from last week that you wanted to ask, didn't get a chance to, as you thought about it more, were like, oh, that didn't make sense, or I wanted to ask that, didn't get a chance, anything like that before we get started with today's stuff? Okay. Sounds good. Okay, so we are going to jump, um, I didn't number these pages, but we're going to start with uh, interpretation. So let's see here. What's that one, two, three, the third page. So number three here, interpretation. That's where we're going to be going. We're going to look at interpretation and application tonight. So we're going to finish out the three steps, um, and then we'll dive into meditation and prayer next week. All right, there we go. So interpretation, on this step, we are asking, what does it mean? So the first step, observation, was just, what does it say? So we're making, uh, essentially what we're doing is reading comprehension. So when you read something, you're trying to get understanding of what is this telling me? What's going on here? We're getting our bearings straight. That's what the first step is. So in that, we talked about you know making notes, underlining things, whatever it is that you like doing, um, do whatever you can to bring out the details of the text. What is standing out to you? Your words that you don't understand, that you don't know. Look those up. Uh, what's going on in this passage? Uh, think of in terms of what would I, how would I write a two to three sentence summary of what I just read today? Um, so that's observation. We talked about a bunch of different things, a bunch of different tools uh, that can help with that. So now that we know what it says, what do we do with that information? Right now, we're just building a head knowledge of things. And we're going to continue to do that until we really get to application, and that's what starts to, Lord willing, uh, develop heart, uh, lifestyle, behavior change. But we're taking a step closer to that, and now we're getting into interpretation. So the question here is, what does it mean? What does the text mean? And, and as you see there, that, that point on the screen, you have to understand what it meant to the original audience before you know how to apply it to your life. Essentially, what this is, is going back to what we spent a lot of time last week talking about was that historical context. What's going on in the culture, in society, in Israelite history at this point in whatever book that we're reading, what's going on there? We kind of essentially have to reconstruct the world of the biblical time that we find ourselves in. Historical context helps you a lot with that. The details that you're looking at 
uh, in the text will help you with that. Um, I, I think I mentioned this last week, but knowing the occasion, like why the book or the letter or whatever you're studying, why that was written, who it was written to, and what's going on with the author are all extremely important. Um, I mean, especially when you're getting into the Old Testament uh, to know what's happening in that. Like if you're looking at a prophet, to know like, okay, where does this fall within the arc of history? Who's king right now? Are the kingdoms of Israel separated? Are they united? Uh, these are important details to, to know what's going on. Um, so you have to know what it meant to the original audience before you can know what it means for us today. See, too often we fast forward and we go, okay, well, what, this is a, a really good truth that I see here and here's what I can do with that. And we don't take any time to spend going, how would the original audience have heard this? What would it meant to somebody living, if you're in the New Testament, the first century Palestine, Israel, somebody living in that setting, what would that mean to them? Hearing these words from Paul or Peter or whoever, what would it mean to them? How would they have received the message? We have to get in the mindset of the original audience before we can bring it into now 2020. Like we have to deal with the history before we can bring it in today. Is that, you guys tracking with me? Is that making sense? Okay, so you have to do that first. And again, that's where historical context is key. That's why we spent so much time on it last week talking about what that means. Um, so historical context is key for that. Um, next part is context. Um, so that's the, the first step for interpretation is examine the text in its context. Context determines meaning. Context determines meaning. There are a couple things that I really want you to get today. That is one of them. Context determines meaning. That is so, so, so important. Um, it's really easy for us to get caught up in like, Ooh, what does this word mean? Or what is, and I'll show you, you know, if you want to know how to figure out the Greek and the Hebrew, I will show you how to do that. You don't have to have a degree or go to school or anything like that. I can show you how to do that, which I will tonight. But too often we get so caught up in, in this one word that's used. Meaning is typically not found at the word level. It's usually not found at the sentence level. You have to, you have to zoom out to the paragraph or the larger narrative or text that you find yourself to, to find meaning. It's not typically found at the word level. You can find some good details at the word level. And I love studying the words, and that's a great thing. And, and you can, it can help. But the overall meaning of what's happening, you have to zoom out and look at things from at least a paragraph level. Like if you're just taking one little verse and that's it, there's a really good chance that you're going to take that verse out of context and you're going to misunderstand what's happening. Does that make sense? All right, so you have to uh, study the passage in its context. Context determines meaning. That is the most important thing. Context determines meaning. So you have to move beyond the verse level and study it at the larger section, the paragraph level or beyond of what's happening. Um, and again, it's easy to misuse and misunderstand a single verse when it's taken out of its context. And the, the meaning that you might draw from that might still be good, but you might be missing out on an even bigger picture of what's happening when you take it out of context. So let me give you an example, uh, a couple of examples. One is Matthew 18.20. So Matthew 18.20, I'll read it, so I'm not just quoting off the top of my head here. Um, he's gonna be like, he said this is what it said, but that's not what it meant. Um, all right, so Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is a, a very important chapter, um, not just in the book of Matthew, but in the overall um, New Testament. So Matthew 18, 20, you've probably heard this. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. How many of you guys have heard that verse? 
where two or three are gathered, there I am with you. Man, that is a, that's a powerful verse, right? Like, that's a good verse. I've even seen it in some people's dining rooms, like on, on the wall, like where two or three are gathered. I'm like, that, that's beautiful, right? Like when we gather together as believers, God is there. But is that what that means? Just looking at it right there, that, that, you know, if we just read that verse, like we're two or three are gathered. Okay, well, if there's two or three of us, Jesus is here with us. What happens if it's just you? What if you're by yourself? God's not with you? Jesus isn't with you? No, of course he is. That's not what that verse means. You have to zoom out. So when we zoom out, here's the cool thing that's happening in Matthew 18. When you zoom out, you go to the paragraph level, you come to verse 15, and it's even broken down very helpful typically in your translation. And it starts out this section, uh, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, and it goes through this process of when somebody wrongs you, when somebody has sinned against you, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go to that person one-on-one and try to work it out. If that doesn't work, then you bring two or three other people to try to talk some sense into this person, and hopefully the Lord will work through that. If that doesn't work, then you bring that person before the church, which interesting, interesting enough, like that's one of the very few places in the entire Gospels, all four of them, where the word church is used. Just, you know, I don't want to spend time on that. That's a big deal, though. This is why it's so important. Bring them before the church. If that doesn't work, then what do you do? Well, then you bring the elders in, and then it talks about, you know, what's going to happen if this person doesn't repent. You essentially are kicking them out of the church. Like, that's what happens. This person stays in unrepentant sin. You bring them for the leadership of the church. If they continue in unrepentant sin, you kick them out. Then it says in verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So when you are dealing with conflict, especially amongst believers, what that verse really means is that we can trust and hold on to the fact that when we're dealing with the messy situations of conflict in a church setting, which there are very many, because we're sinners and we rub each other the wrong way and we sin against each other all the time. We can trust that the Lord is in the midst. I mean, that's very comforting for me, for a pastor too. When we have to enter into the messy stuff of church discipline, we can trust that Jesus is right there with us, guiding us every step of the way. That's awesome. And then if you continue reading, you're going to come to one of my favorite parables, which is the parable of the forgiving servant, which talks about the great lengths that Jesus goes to forgive us, and we are called to forgive one another in the same way. So you have this awesome verse situated in what is really talking about conflict and forgiveness. So, you know, I'm just going to leave it there, but just keep that in mind. When we, have, when, when we feel wronged against, just know that in the process of conflict resolution, there's also a parable about forgiving people. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, take that for what it is. Another one that's very popular is Jeremiah 29.11. If your kids are in the kids' ministry, this is our memory verse for this section. Love Jeremiah 29.11. It's awesome. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for a future and a hope. Like, that is beautiful stuff. And we do have future and hope in Christ. But that verse, when you look at the context, was a letter that Jeremiah wrote to Israelites who had been taken from their home into exile, into Babylon. I mean, try to imagine if you were taken away forcibly by this evil army away from your home and brought hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. You don't even know where you are. You don't know what's going to happen. And now you're here in this random place called Babylon, away from everything that's familiar. And then you have a prophet of God write to you the very words of God that says, I know the plans I have for you. You you are not left alone. God is right there with you, and I have plans for a future and a hope. Can you imagine the type of hope and light that that would bring to such a dark and evil situation? Like, 
that's, that's really beautiful. But when we just take it out of the context and we just apply it to our lives that I got hope and a future in Christ, yes, that's true. There's other passages that are far better to speak to that than Jeremiah 29, 11. But when we study it in the context of Jeremiah 20, 11, what it means is that even in our darkest moments, even in moments that we got into ourselves because of our sin, Jesus can still work miracles in that mess. And he can still bring light to the very darkest of situations. That's how we should apply Jeremiah 29, 11. And we get that from the context. You guys tracking with me? Does that make sense? Okay, cool. Um, okay, so context matters. Uh, you have to look at things in context. What comes before the verse or the passage that you're in? What comes after the verse or the passage that you're in? What's the larger argument or point or theme that's being developed by the author? These are extremely important things to help us make sure we are understanding something within the overall context of that passage. Does that make sense? Cool. It's a big deal. All right, second step. Second step in interpretation is pay attention to words and sentence structure. This is a big deal. So this is, this is pairing what we've done with our observation and just taking it a little step further. And a lot of times, and we'll talk about putting all of this stuff together at the end of our time today, but um, just know that, that some of these things can kind of blend. So um, just keep that in mind for my type A people. Like it, it might blend a little bit. Just, it's it's going to be okay. I promise you. It'll be all right. Um, so this is a blending a little bit where you're making observations and now you're taking that maybe just a little step further. So you're asking, um, you know, again, are there things that are repeated? Are there any quotes or references to the Old Testament? If so, you need to look those up. Like, that's a big deal. Don't just gloss over that when somebody says, you know, the prophet Isaiah said, blah, 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 blah. You need to go back and find it. I'll show you how to find that. Go back and find that passage in Isaiah and read it. That's a big deal. Um, look up references to the Old Testament if you're in the New Testament. Um, are there any conditional clauses, if-then statements? Are there cause and effects? Are there commands? Are there similes? Are there metaphors? These are all important things to note. Um, ask why the passage is located here. So this is a big deal. Um, I know we like to, we, we think linear, right? Like we think in terms of this is the start time and this is the end time and that's how our minds work. Um, sometimes that's how the biblical books that we're going to study are put together. Oftentimes that's not the case, especially in prophecy. Um, even when you come into the New Testament, you look at the Gospels, which are uh, tend to be historical narratives. There's stuff, if you study all three, they're called synoptic Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When you study those together, you're going to see similar stories that are placed in different settings. You're like, wait, what's hap how come they put it here? How come they put it there? Sometimes they just weren't concerned with making a linear timeline. You got to keep that in mind. And again, it's hard for us in a Western mindset to do that, but you have to remember that. Um, so the point is that the authors put things there for a reason. They put these stories together for a reason. Sometimes it's because it happened chronologically. A lot of other times they're trying to make an overarching point with the passages and the stories and the sections that they're putting together. So ask yourself, why, why would the author put this here? What's going on? What did I just read a few days ago? What am I going to read next? Try to figure that out. And we're not always going to know. These are just helpful questions to ask ourselves. Uh, how does the passage build off what was said in the previous section? Again, this goes to context. Does this passage contain symbolism or figurative language? That's a big deal. Does it have connecting words like therefore? If you see a therefore, that should be a big red flashing light to you. All right. That means what is said beforehand was building up to what the, the author is doing now. They, they've said a bunch of stuff and now they go, therefore, do this based on what I've said. 
here's what I want you to know. That's a big, big deal. When you see things like therefore or so or but, these kind of phrases where the author has stated something and now they're either going to tell you something more about that or they're going to contrast what they just told you with some other truth, those are big deals. Again, this is getting into the nitty gritty, the details of the text to help us understand what's happening. Um, so that's a big deal. Um, identify all the pronouns and who they are referring to. Uh, we talked a little bit about that last week. Um, so just an example uh, of how this kind of uh, worked out in my life recently. Um, again, I told you guys I'm going through Luke, and Luke 15 is this awesome, beautiful chapter in the Bible. you got the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the most famous, probably parable of all time, the, prodigal, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son. Um, and, and Luke put all these together in one chapter to, to make a point. Um, and I don't know about you guys, I grew up in church, so if you grew up in church, maybe you, you've heard this, but the parable of the lost sheep, uh, in that parable, there's a there's hundred sheep. One of them goes missing, and Jesus says, which one of you wouldn't go leave the 99 to chase after the one? And there's this you know, beautiful story of Jesus chasing after the lost sheep. I was told growing up that sheep are not very smart animals, which they're not. So if you have a pack of them, 99, they would pretty much stay together. So the shepherd could leave that group of, of sheep and go search for the lost one. Like that made sense. During this time, that would be a typical thing for them to do. That's what I was taught growing up. Did anybody else hear that growing up? Okay, well, that's what I was taught. That's wrong. Like that is, that is not at all what's happening. And you know that because of what is going on in the context. The context before all of this starts is a conversation Jesus has with a bunch of Pharisees who were mad at him for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners says this in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, What man among you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, his, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Here's the key, verse 7. So I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who, represents, who repents over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The 99 righteous are supposed to mirror the Pharisees, the self-righteous people who didn't need Jesus. The lost sheep mirrors the one lost sheep. When Jesus says, who among you would do this? The answer is nobody would do that. That makes zero sense. A shepherd would not leave his sheep to go chase after the crazy lost shepherd because a wolf or whatever, some animal would come and easily shred that flock apart. Nobody would do that. That's the answer. Nobody would do that. That's crazy talk, Jesus. But Jesus says, no, it's not crazy for me to chase after sinners. That's what I've come to do. That's the point that he's making with these parables. Y'all self-righteous people think it's crazy for me to go after sinners. It's not. And we will rejoice like crazy when one sinner repents. That's the point that Jesus is making. And you find that out by the context. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me so far? Cool. All right. Um, next one. Interpret according, interpret according to the type of book that the author wrote. This is the second. If you don't get anything else, man, if you get the context determines meaning and this part that I'm going to tell you right now, I will be so happy and thrilled. Uh, you have to interpret according to what the author intended. And the way we get to that is by understanding the genre or the type of literature the author was writing. You guys heard it like there's different types of literature out there. There's fiction, there's nonfiction, there's journalism, there's 
you know, social media garbage, like all that kind of stuff. Like there's different genres and we need to understand things in the genre that it was uh, delivered, that it was produced. And so if you're reading a really good fiction book, but you think it's nonfiction, we got a big problem, right? Like that could get you into a whole world of problems. If you read Lord of the Rings and you're like, man, I got to go to Mordor. I got to fight the bad guys, the Mordor. I got to go there and defeat the enemy. It's like, bro, there's no Mordor. That's a made up place. Okay. We'd be having a really weird, awkward conversation where things would not go so well for you. Okay. So we have, and like, we understand that when we talk about other types of literature that we're familiar with. But when we come to the Bible, I think, um, and I'm not going to get into this because I'll just go off on a tangent, but um, there was a big issue. There's a, there was a change in theology at the beginning of the 19th century called dispensation. It was really late 1800s, early 1900s called dispensationalism. And it just took, it spread like wildfire across Christianity. And one of their big things is, is dispensationalism teaches to interpret the Bible literally at all costs. Always interpret literally. And that honestly, in my opinion, caused a lot of damage. Um, and they were fighting against some crazy liberals back in that day. So I get why it happened. But the, the thing that's been lost is authorial intent, author intent. What did the author intend to mean when he wrote these words? We have to interpret according to the genre of scripture. And there's lots of different ones. There's Old Testament narrative, there's Old Testament poetry, prophecy, uh, New Testament gospels and history, New Testament letters, New Testament apocalyptic literature, which is Revelation, which is one of my favorite books. It's awesome. Don't be scared of it. Um, it's really good. So I wish that this class wasn't three weeks long because I would, I would camp out here for like two weeks probably and just drill you on this because I think it's so important. Instead, for your sake, what I've done is I've given you this little thing in the back of your packet. Um, it says up at the top, biblical genres and interpretation guidelines. So I list out all the different, the main types of genres, the books that fit in those genres. And then I give you interpretation guidelines and rules depending on what uh, book you are studying. So if you're going to study an Old Testament prophet like Hosea or Joel or something like that, come here, find the Old Testament genre of prophecy, which is on this page right here. Read over that before you get started with your book. So this is just a helpful tool. I think it's extremely important. We can take things so much out of context when we don't understand what the author meant. Um, when, when we don't understand their hyperbolic statements or uh, using a bunch of symbolism and things like that in the Old Testament poetry and, and whatever's going on, like that is just so important. See, we, in a Western mindset, we want things, and you guys even, like nobody raised their hand last week and said you read fiction, which I'm just still upset at you guys about. Um, but see, too often we just wanna read nonfiction propositional statements. This is what they're saying. This is a factual statement and I can take it as such and then go about my business with what they were saying. Like too often, we read things like they're the letters of Paul. Like we just want to read everything's like it, it's Romans and there's a bunch of propositional statements. Do this, don't do this. But that's like, we can't do that with every aspect of the Bible because we're, we're tearing apart what the author actually attended uh, to write and for us to understand. Does that make sense? Like this is a really big deal. I can't spend too much time on it because I will just go for days. Um, but it's a really big deal. A lot of mistakes in interpretation come from misunderstanding the style the author was using when writing. A really good example of this is Genesis chapter 1. Um, Genesis chapter 1 is this beautiful passage about how God created the world. But if we go too far and we take that too far and we start going, well, scientifically, we got to go blah, 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 blah. Moses was not writing a scientific dialogue of what happened in creation. That was not his purpose in writing. That was not what he intended to do. What he intended to do was to teach the truth that God has created everything. Everything is existent because he spoke it into existence. 
That's the point of Genesis chapter 1. And when we try to take it too far, we get into these weird battles between Christians where we're like, no, it has to be six 24-hour days. Well, no, it doesn't. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it doesn't matter. That's not what Moses is trying to do. That does not matter. What matters is that God is the creator of all things, that everything has their point of origin with our God. That's the purpose of Genesis chapter 1. Does that make sense? All right, cool. Genre. Genre is a big deal. So utilize that, that stuff at the end. That's just been distilled from like my information of studying this, reading about it, my own studies, all that kind of stuff. Books that I'll, uh, like up here, some of that has come directly from books that I've read that I'll tell you guys about, but um, big deal. Okay, uh, the next one there. So interpret according to the type of book, the type of genre, um, so that we can understand the author's intention, the authorial intent. The big word for that, if you want to sound really smart to somebody, is authorial intent hermeneutics. Okay, just remember that. You don't need to worry about what it means. I'm just kidding. You guys know what authorial intent means. Hermeneutics is just a fancy word for how to interpret the Bible. Um, that's what we're doing today. You guys are learning hermeneutics. That's what we've been doing here. So congratulations. Um, all right, look for theological principles. This is how you start to bridge that gap from what's been going on, the observations that you're making, to now we're building this bridge towards application. You have to make, uh, you have to have a theological uh, principle here. So what we're talking about there is what is the author teaching? That's what we have to ask ourselves. To make a theological statement, to draw a theological principle, what is the author saying? What is the author trying to teach with this passage? We can ask questions like, what does it say about God? What does it say about man? What, if any, explicit commands are given? What promises or warnings are given by God to man? How does this passage point to Jesus? That's especially important if you're in the Old Testament. How does this point forward to what Jesus would ultimately do for us on the cross? That is the focal point of all history is Jesus on the cross and the salvation that he alone provides. Um, how does that point forward to that? How does that point backwards to that? If you're past the cross in another book in the Old Test in the New Testament, how does that point back to what Jesus accomplished for us? These are how you draw out theological principles. You ask yourselves these questions. What's going on? What's the author teaching? If it's a command, if it's a propositional statement and a command, like that's really easy. That's why we love the New Testament letters because it's usually, Paul can get confusing, I know, and there's some weird stuff in there sometimes, but we're a lot better at drawing theological principles from things like that or an explicit command. It's when you get into narrative or prophecy that's where that the back half of your packet that I gave you, that's where that's going to come really handy and, and be a big help to you in that. But we have to, in order to get to application, we have to uh, have a theological uh, principle is what we're, we're talking about here. So basically, you know, what, what is this teaching? And then we make conclusions. We make conclusions about what this means. So we say, based on what we've read, based on what I've seen, based on what this is, this is the theological principle and it means this. So going back to Luke 15, like I told you guys, this is what Jesus is talking about. Like he goes uh, to lengths that we would think are crazy and insane to save people. Like it's insane if we think about it, that God left heaven, came to become a man, lived a poor, impoverished, homeless life for the better part of his ministry. For all three years, he's traveling on, going wherever. He says, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to rest his head. Like, that, that's God that we're talking about. Like, that's God who said that statement. And then he dies in the most humiliating and painful way possible at this time on a cross for people like you and me who would chase after our sin all the time. Like, he does that for us. That's crazy, y'all. That's crazy. That makes no sense. Yeah, that's what our God does. And like that should 
cause us to worship for one. Like that's the feel like we should worship our God as Savior. It should remind us that Jesus is our only Savior, that we have no hope apart from him, that we would be some lost sheep wandering around doing who knows what without Jesus. Like these are some of the theological principles that we can draw. Is that making sense? Perfect. And that, these are the conclusions that, that we make along with that. So remember, um, make conclusions firmly in the original context and then hold your conclusions with open hands, okay? You don't want to be the person running around going, this is what the Bible says, and I know for sure if this, you know, this is obscure passage, like this is what it says, like I know for a fact and I'm going to die on this hill. Die on the hills that the Bible calls us to, like the most important things, like Jesus is God, he's our Savior, like that kind of stuff, like the close-handed things. Die on those hills. If it's an open-handed issue, hold those with open hands, y'all, okay? Like, make conclusions. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it, but it's okay if somebody has a different opinion about those things. Does that make sense? Like, I love the end times. I could talk about eschatology all day long. I have made conclusions based on my understanding of the text, but I hold those with open hands because I know that it's unclear, and honestly, we have no idea. I have no idea. Absolutely none. And it's awesome, and I love it. Um, Okay, does that make sense? Okay. Cool. All right, some tools to help with interpretation. Um, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's a big one. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is part of the Holy Spirit's job is to teach us the Bible. And we see this in places like John 14 and, and John 16. I do want to read these because it's a big deal. Uh, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is what theologians call the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, part of its job, his job is to illuminate the text for us, is to teach us the truth of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2 has this beautiful idea of nobody understands the mind of God except for the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God has been sent to us to teach us the mind of God. Like, that's an awesome, amazing truth. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Guys, we have no hope of understanding Scripture apart from the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So lean on the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit for guidance, for help. This is part of the Holy Spirit's job. Part of why God has sent the Holy Spirit is to teach us His Word and to make us more like Jesus. Um, Rely on the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal. Um, All right, Holy Spirit. Look to the Holy Spirit to teach you uh, the Word of God as part of His job. Okay, some other tools for interpretation. Cross-references. How many of you guys have a Bible with cross-references? Cross-references are the little tiny letters, and then there's a column usually or something at the bottom. How many of y'all use cross-references? How many of y'all have looked at those funny little letters and like, just ignore those? They're ridiculous. You don't have to raise your hand, but I thought that. Um, I'm just going to show you guys uh, in case anybody's unsure. Cross-references are a big help. So I'm going to show you how I use them. Again, my advice to you is to buy a Bible with cross-references. A study Bible always has cross-references. Here's the other thing I would tell you. Whatever Bible you have that has cross-references, read the beginning pages before you actually get to the Word of God that talks about the translation history and blah, 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 all that garbage history that nobody reads. It's really interesting, actually. You should do that. But in there, there will be a section on how this translation uses cross-references. So some of them are a little different. Um, I'm going to show you what the ESV looks like. Um, and to do that, I'm going to go to their, uh, let's just see, do this, see if that works. Nope. It's going to be too, there we go. Okay, so I'm going to show you guys on the ESV website. 
and don't feel like you got to pay super close attention. I made a video that's way more detailed than what I'm going to show you um, for this. So uh, this is the ESV website. Just read now. And then look at this. We have the Bible. Um, and there's these cross-references. So there's these helpful little things right here in these little letters. And that's going to tell you to go to another part of the Bible that gives more detail or says the same thing in a different way or uses the same word in a different way. And this can really help you understand what's going on. So I'm going to use... Um, and I do this in the video, but just real quick, the, the example that I typically use with people is John chapter 3, verse 5, uh, that says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, here it is, unless one is born again of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Uh, growing up in church, I was taught a couple different things with that. I was taught that that means, um, especially like the born of water, that's like the question that everybody has. I was taught that that could either mean uh, physical birth, like, you know, you have your physical birth, and then by the Spirit you have your spiritual birth, this new birth. Those are true. We've all been born because we're alive, and if you're a believer, you have a new birth in the Spirit. Um, that's not what this is talking about. I was also told that this could be referring to water baptism. That's not what this is talking about. The original audience would not have taken that to mean water baptism. Um, and plus, you don't have to be baptized after you put your faith in Jesus to be saved anyways. That's not what the Bible teaches. So, um, and I explain all this more detail in the video that I'll, I'll send you guys. But what this means, and we know this is because of the cross-reference here. So we cl click on that cross-reference, and here it is. These are all the passages that, it would, uh, that the uh, translation committee would encourage you to read and look at uh, to help you understand what's going on. And this first one is really important. So Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, right here. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean from all your uncleanness and your idols. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. That's what this is talking about. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, who would have known the Old Testament backwards and forwards, expert in the Old Testament. When Jesus says you need to be born of water, and the Spirit, what he's talking about, yes, the Spirit is that new life that the Spirit alone can give us. He's the only one that can regenerate us when we put our faith in Jesus. We're made new. That's what that means. Um, but with water, it means that you're washed clean, that our sins are taken away. If we're going to enter into the kingdom of God, we have to be born again and our sins have to be taken away. Both of those things only come through faith in Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's the point that he develops throughout the rest of John 3. That's what he's talking about here. So those things that I grew up learning, totally wrong. And the reason we know that is cross-references. Cross-references are awesome. They're very helpful. Um, as you use them, you'll know like, okay, I don't really have to look up these or look up that. What I would encourage you to do is as you're getting started with this, um, focus on the areas that you're struggling to understand and um, like that it might be a little confusing. You're like, man, I don't know what this is saying. If there's cross references there for you, use those. You don't feel like don't feel like you got to look up every single one because then you're just gonna be flipping back and forth all over the place or looking online here for your entire time that you're spending in the Word. So focus on the passage. Utilize cross references to help you understand a confusing part, something that you don't understand. Um, I mean, if you want to look up all of them, go for it. It's awesome. It's the Word of God, so it's good no matter what. Um, but I'm just saying, like, don't don't feel like you have to look up all the cross references. They're there for a tool to help you understand what's happening. Does that make sense? Um, paraphrase is a good uh, just tool to use to, to help you understand what's going on. When you read something, if you can paraphrase it in your own words, that typically means that you have some level of understanding as to what's going on. And your paraphrase might be totally wrong. That's okay. We're not saying that your paraphrase is equal to Scripture, okay? That's not what's happening. This is just a helpful way to put you, as you're thinking through it, 
to take what you've read and put it in terms that make sense to you and what's going on. Like, this is just a helpful tool to help you dig deeper into the passage and understand what's going on. Um, so paraphrase is a good thing to do. Um, look up words. Uh, my favorite website to do that is biblehub.com, which I'm going to show you. I don't know why I switched off of this. Now I have to go through these whole steps again. Um, so if you want to look up the original language, if you want to know, man, what does this say in the Greek or the Hebrew, um, go for it. I love doing that. Um, and you don't have to be a Greek scholar. You don't have to go to seminary like I'm in right now. You don't have to take a bunch of classes to do that. It's all helpful. It's great. But the Lord created the internet for good, not just for bad. Um, so biblehub.com. Um, again, one of my favorite websites. <clears throat> And again, I have a video that shows you how to do this. Um, but there's and there's lots of stuff on here. Like they've got some commentaries right here. Um, they've got you know tons of resources. Um, my favorite one is to go over here to the. This is abbreviated, but it means interlinear, which means that it will have the original language with its most direct English word translated for that um, all together. So we're going to click on that. You can go up here and just type in whatever verse you want to look at. I'm going to show you guys my favorite verse in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You can go up here and navigate. I'm showing you guys a slow way just so you kind of see the different aspects of this website. So this is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If we're like, man, I love this passage, and one of my favorite words is kainos in the New Testament. It means to be made new. Um, but it doesn't just mean new in our sense. Like sometimes we think new, and it's not what the Bible's talking about. And the reason we know that is because we can go look at the original language here. So we find here, he is a new creation. So we read that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's that word kainos. And look, here it is right here. Um, so we can click on that. You can click on the word and I'll show you this in the video. That's just that specific version of that word. I recommend clicking up here. This is the, uh, if you've heard of it, concordance. Um, Strong's concordance is the most popular concordance that's out there. He, this guy that made that a long, long time ago, created every single word in the original language in Hebrew and Greek that was used. He assigned it a number. Um, that's what this is. So that's all that means. So you just click on that, and that will bring you to the main word um, that's, that's being used here. And there it is, kainos. Kainos means fresh, new, unused, novel. And you can see like it's got a bunch of different ways to help you understand what's going on here. Um, this is good right here. And this helps us really understand. So it's, it's new in quality. It's innovative. It's fresh in development. Um, it's not found like anything else. That's what it means. When we talk about being a new creation, it means that God makes us completely brand new, like nothing we've ever seen before. Um, and that really, again, brings the text to life. So if you're looking uh, to figure out what uh, word is used and the meaning of that, I recommend BibleHub.com. It's a great website. And you can see here, like, here's all the different places over here on the right side where this verse is used, or this word is, is used. And we see there's 42 occurrences in the New Testament. Here's the different forms of it if you really want to know what it looks like in the Greek. Um, so this is a really cool website. So again, I have a video that I'll send you guys that, that has a lot more detail um, than what I'm showing you now. So check that out if you're interested in knowing how to look up um, original languages. But that is a helpful tool. Um, the last step I would say is consult a commentary or study Bible note. So I encourage you guys to get a study Bible last time. Um, so this is my ESV study Bible. It's my favorite one. It's what I would recommend. Um, so it, here's the difficult thing with a study Bible is the study notes are all at the bottom usually. So it's real easy to let your eyes just kind of wander down and you read a verse like, oh, I don't know what that means. Ooh, let me check the study notes. Like, 
you do whatever you want to. I can't force you to do this, but I would encourage you try to do the hard work of understanding on your own and then look at those as a last resort. Go to this as your last step. Try to understand what's going on. Walk through this process. You know, give it a few minutes if you can. Um, I would encourage you to spend some time in meditation, which we're going to talk about next week. Um, but use this as a last resort. Don't automatically just jump to what the commentary or the study notes say. Um, and, and I have access to a lot of different commentaries, so it's like a big discipline not to like reach out and just grab something off my shelf or use my Logos software to look up the several different commentaries that I might have on one particular book. Um, so just know for me, who has access to a bunch of resources, like I really try hard not to do this. And um, so I'll just give you guys an example. Like I've been in Luke 16 for like a week and a half now. I just finished it yesterday. Um, so I spent a week and a half in Luke 16 because the first 17 verses of Luke 16, there's a lot of stuff in there that I was like, I have no idea what you're saying here. Like none of this makes sense to me. I have zero clue as to what your what argument you're developing i like yes on a service level maybe i can understand some stuff but like you start digging in the nitty-gritty and i'm like i'm confused this makes no sense to me so i did that the first day last week on monday like i read the first few verses and I'm like this makes no sense and i even wrote that in my journal this makes no sense but and i could have jumped to a commentary i have access to a lot of really good luke commentaries i could have easily done that i didn't i have access to study bible notes not just the esv but the csb too i didn't do that I spent a few days in those few verses to try to understand what was going on. And it ended up being the first 18 verses took me almost a week and a half before I felt comfortable moving on because I wanted to do the hard work of spending time with the text, walking through it step by step, getting into the details, spending time in prayer over the text and in meditation before I just jumped to somebody else's hard work. I wanted to do that for myself. So maybe you don't spend a week in a passage. I know that, seemed, that might be kind of ridiculous. I get that. I'm not telling you to do things the way I do it. Um, but spend some time. Don't automatically jump to, to looking at a commentary and looking at uh, your study Bible. Those are helpful tools. Use them as a tool, but do the work first. Um, like even when I'm preaching, I'll spend um, a lot of time in the text with just me before I even go to a commentary or two commentaries or whatever. Like I, that's a, again, even when I'm sermon prepping, that's a last resort for me. Um, so if, if you wanted to get a commentary, you can do it. You can spend your money, get a commentary. Uh, I put in there some really good resources. There's a good website, bestcommentaries.com, where you can search on like technical, which is going to have a lot of original language in there and be very academic. I would not recommend getting those unless you just want to nerd out on some stuff. Go for it, but good luck. Um, there's more like P is standard, and there's like a chart that says all this, but like P is pastoral, uh, D is devotional. So these are some lighter ones. I gave you recommendations and I have each, uh, a version of each of those recommendations up here on the stage. Um, so feel free to come look at these. Um, these are good series that I really like that I think would be helpful um, in a more devotional type thing. The most technical one that I put on there is going to be this pillar series. Um, it's New Testament pillar series. It's edited by D.A. Carson. They're awesome. Um, um, and even those aren't super technical. So um, even if you wanted to go a little deeper, those are going to be a little bit more expensive. Obviously, the thicker ones, the bigger ones can range upwards of $40, $50. Um, so just keep that in mind. You don't have to get a commentary. You don't have to do that. Um, I, if you have a study Bible, that's awesome. But again, you don't have to have these tools. We have the Holy Spirit. We can look to him. He's, uh, his job is to teach us scripture. So follow these steps. Uh, look to the Holy Spirit. Um, use this as a last resort. It's a good resort. It's a good tool to have. Uh, but don't feel like, oh, I'm studying a Bible now. Now I got to go buy another commentary. Like, don't feel like you got to do that. Um, I just wanted to give you that as an option. Okay. Is that cool? All right. Let's move to uh, application. 
Uh, this is our third and final step, application. And in application, we are asking ourselves, what does this mean for me? Okay, so we've gone from what does it say? What does it mean for the original audience? And now what does it mean for me? Now we're finally to the point of here's how I can apply this to my life. Um, this is where the rubber meets the road. Okay, so the goal is to ask, what does this text mean for me? The Bible is God's revelation to us. It is not just for studying and learning and increasing our head knowledge. That is part of it. And you will get smart learning a bunch of different things about the Bible. And with all these other tools I showed you, you'll gain a lot of knowledge. But if that knowledge stays up here and doesn't sink down into our hearts and affect our daily lives, we're missing the biggest point. God gave us his word to teach us about himself and to shape our lives to live in more obedience and in better reflection of him to the rest of the world. Like this is why the, the word of God has been given to us. It's, it's given to us to change our lives. So if we're just gaining knowledge, we're missing the point. All right, so steps for application. Um, how do we do this? How do we get the Bible to change our lives? Um, the first one is use the main point or theological principle from the passage to form a propositional statement. This will help you think in terms that make sense to us. So remember that theological principle, those conclusions that you drew. Let's bring those from the original audience. So we've constructed this original audience world. Now we're building a bridge through that theological principle to 2020. And how does this theological principle affect my life right now? And we can do this in helpful ways through a propositional statement. So essentially what that means is because the passage teaches whatever that theological principle is, I ought to do whatever application to your life that means. Okay, so this is, helps us make it personal. This is not, again, just going, oh, well, you know, God wants us to love others. Okay, well, what does it mean for you to love others? What does it mean for you in your everyday life to love one another, to love your neighbor, to love your family, to love other believers in your life? What does that actually mean? What does that look like? Jesus says to love others, so I ought to do blank. And if you just say, I should love others, then you're, again, you're missing the point, okay? Like, how does this practically apply to my life right now? That's what we're asking ourselves here. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so put it in a propositional statement. Because the passage teaches blank, I ought to do blank. Um, and then think through specific ways this can apply to you, okay? So, um, and we can do this through... Um, Sorry, we can do this through asking ourselves, um, you know, what does this passage teach about God that should change the way I live? So, you know, it talks about God's love or God's faithfulness or God's sovereignty. Those are awesome things that we should believe about God. But how does that impact my life? If God really is sovereign over everything, what does that mean for me? And that should have a lot of impact on our daily stress that we have, on our emotional state at times. Like that should impact our lives in very real ways. Um, so think through how does this specifically apply to me? What sinful thoughts or behavior in my life is revealed by this passage? What, what types of sins is being brought up by this? How does it show my sin against God or my sin against others? And what would it take for me to repent of these sins and live in obedience to Jesus? Again, this is just taking this you know, helpful theological principle that we thought of that's building our head knowledge, and now we're bringing it down to our heart. Now we're thinking about how does this actually play out in my life? So when you're reading this passage, I mean, if there's sins uh, about how you treat God, how you treat one another, how you're dealing with your own stuff and your thought life or whatever in your own personal daily routines, what sins are being brought up? 
how can we walk in repentance of those sins and live in obedience to what Jesus is calling us to here? If a command is given, how can this command be practically obeyed today? So this is getting into that, what we talk about loving others. Like that's, a, that's an explicit command. But we can't just say, well, I'm just supposed to love others. Okay, because we're not going to do anything with that. We're just going to be like, okay, yeah, that's cool, great. I should love others. No, what, like practically, what does that mean? What does it look like for you to do that? Um, what does this passage teach about living in God relationships with those around you? Is, there's lots of passages that talk about life with one another. What does that impact? Think through the relationships that you have and how this truth that we're seeing in Scripture should impact those relationships. How should this passage increase my faith in God? If promises are given, how would believing those promises affect your daily life? So these are some of the questions that we need to ask ourselves to see how this points uh, to what this passage means for me today. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me so far? All right, cool. Um, so again, we're, we, we've reconstructed the original audience. We've built a bridge through our theological principle, and now we're back in 2020 in my daily routine, my life. What does it mean? What should I do with the truth that I've learned? How should this impact my life? Um, uh, another big thing uh, to remember here is, is that all Scripture points to Jesus. All Scripture points to Jesus. So how, in this passage that you're reading, how does this point to Jesus? How should this uh, bring to light a new aspect of our Savior? How should this cause me to worship Jesus all the more, live for Jesus all the more? If you're in an Old Testament passage, we talked about this a little bit ago, how does it point forward to what Jesus will do on the cross? For in the New Testament, how does this passage point to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus? How does it point to Jesus? The whole Scripture is all about Jesus. Keep that your focus uh, in your studies. Uh, key point to remember. All right, tools to help with application. Tools to help with application. Prayer is a big one. Um, these next two, we're going to spend all of next week talking about it. So I'm just going to give you some high-level thoughts on it. Um, we'll spend more time next week. But prayer, um, it's extremely important to spend time in prayer when studying the Bible. Again, we talked about this in the role of the Holy Spirit. Prayfully, prayerfully asking the Holy Spirit to teach you, to guide you, to illuminate God's Word for you. Look to the Spirit to lead you into all truth. Pray before studying. And this can just be a simple prayer. Um, so I'm going to tell you guys like the flow. I'm, I'm building a flow for you. So this is how I would recommend your personal devotional time. You can do it however you want to. Um, I recommend praying after you study your Bible, and I'll explain all that next week. Um, but before you get started, just pray a simple prayer. prayer. Lord, teach me today. Teach me your word. Holy Spirit, lead me into truth. Help me understand what I'm about to read. And then dive in and then spend prayer as you're studying, as you're thinking through. Pray while you're reading. Pray through passages uh, for God to give you understanding and application. Uh, meditate on the passage. This is another tool of application. Meditate. Think deeply on the passage. Fill your mind with the truths found in this passage. Uh, again, pray through it. Read through it slowly. Slow down. If we're going to study God's Word, we have to slow down. Um, and again, we're going to talk more about that uh, next week, so I don't want to give too much there. But another tool to help for application, memorize scripture. Our Bible talks about hiding God's word in our hearts so that when we have situations that come up, hopefully, Lord willing, scripture will be brought to mind. How are you going to do that if you're not spending time in scripture and you're not memorizing it? So memorize passages, memorize verses, memorize big chunks if you want to. However your mind works, um, I don't typically memorize the big chunks one verse at a time for me. Um, that just seems to work best, but memorize scripture. It's really helpful to have in your back pocket, essentially, in your mind, scripture when something comes up and you don't have your Bible right there, 
or somebody's asking you a question about something, you're like, man, I know I read a verse about that, but I don't know because I have my Bible with me. I mean, hopefully you got your, like a Bible app on your phone. Like again, 20, whatever, 21st century we're in now, like this can be really helpful. So, you know, utilize that. Um, but don't use that as a, uh, as a way to not memorize scripture. Memorizing scripture is a helpful way to internalize it and to understand it. Um, and like for me, when I'm memorizing a verse, like I say it over and over and over again, like that will really help you understand what's happening because you're just repeating that over and over and over again. Um, so memorizing scripture is really a big deal. Um, this is another one, uh, another big one, study and community. We are not meant to grow in isolation. Community helps with application as a group of believers can discuss the passage and how they believe it applies to other believers. This is the importance of missional community group. This is, this is why we encourage you to have uh, people in your life that, that are holding you accountable, that know what you're reading. Like studying community is such a big deal. We are not meant to grow in isolation. We are not meant to follow God in isolation. We are meant to do it in the community, within the church, amongst other believers. So study in community. Again, this is why we have missional community groups get plugged into a missional community group. This is how we can bounce ideas off each other. This is where like we can say, hey, I thought the passage said this. And somebody might be like, bro, you took that way out of context. Let me help you out a little bit. Or you might say something and somebody be like, man, I've never thought of it that way. That's typically what happens to me. When somebody says something, I'm like, man, I, I, I've never would have thought of it that way. That's awesome. And that's a great truth that the Lord revealed to you. I, I never would have seen that because we just think differently or we have different life stages or uh, life experiences or whatever the case is. Like this is the beauty of studying in community. Um, so study in community. The last uh, step, I would say, the last tool for uh, application is journal. I love journaling, um, and this is not like a dear diary kind of thing. Like, that's not what's going on here. Um, but this is my journal, and, and I think I told you this a little bit last week. Like, when I come to a passage, what I, what I do in my journaling time um, is I'll just kind of write down the date, the passage that I'm in, and the first thing I do is I just write a summary of what I read. So what's standing out, that's essentially the observation and the interpretation that's kind of blended together for me. Um, I'll write out that stuff, like reconstructing what's going on in that original audience. I'll write down a summary and what's happening there. And then I'll write down as I prayerfully consider and think through these things and meditate on the passage as application points come up in that time, I'll write that down and I'll write down how am I gonna specifically apply this and live this truth out. Um, and when I write it down, I don't know about you guys, and Kendra always helps me with this and I'm terrible at it with other things, but writing things down helps you remember it. And I'm terrible at that, and which is why I forget everything because I don't remember to write things down. And then I don't remember what I was supposed to write down. And Kendra's always like, just write things down. I'm like, I, I forgot to do that, sorry. Um, so this is, this is a big deal, like writing things down is helpful. It helps you remember, it helps you internalize things. So journaling, um, if I can encourage you to get a, like just get a journal, write stuff down. If you wanna take it on notes on your phone or on a computer, like whatever the case is, you don't have to write in like an actual bound journal if you don't want to, like utilize technology to your heart's desire. But um, man, journaling is so, so helpful when you're walking through uh, what's going on and like it's been great to walk through and, and kind of see my past journals like when we were walking through difficult scenarios of having miscarriages and infertility and all that kind of stuff like to see uh, my prayers sometimes very angry prayers to the Lord um, to see that and to see how he worked in that and how he kept me close even though I was just in such a bad place uh, man like that that's just incredible stuff and I wouldn't have that had I not written it down um, and, and answered prayers man like if I, I can flip back and read answered prayer after answered prayer. And some of those answers were not what I wanted. They, that's not what I was praying for. The Lord said no or had something else for me. But I can go back and look and see, oh man, like I was praying for this Lord and you had something else in mind. And now 
two, three, five, six years later, whatever long it's been, I can see why you did that. I can understand a little bit more why you said no in that situation, why you said wait in that situation or whatever the case was. Um, man, that's awesome. So if I can encourage you, like journal, 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 journal. Um, all right, so that those are the three steps. Um, and before I open it up for questions, I'm going to uh, ask Kendra, my wife, to come and share. Um, and so what I've asked her to come and share about is um, how she uh, does exactly what we talked about. Um, and this is not because she's my wife. Uh, that I told her she has to do this and I had some great influence over her life. That's not the case. Like this is the Holy Spirit's work in her life and it's awesome. Um, but she is somebody who is not in full-time ministry, not a pastor, not somebody like me who gets paid to study the Bible. Um, like I should know this stuff, right? Like normal people, I just want to encourage you. This is why I've asked Kendra, like normal everyday Christians, you don't have to have some special calling from the Lord. We are called to study his word, and you can do this stuff. You can do this. Is it going to be hard sometimes? Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's hard for me. I told you, I spent a week in Luke 16 trying to figure out what was going on. I had no idea. It's going to be hard sometimes, but through the hard work, man, the Lord uses that to shape our lives, to speak truth to us, and it's awesome. So I want you to hear from a non-pastor that you actually can do this process and that it does work. So I've asked Kendra to share, um, and I've also asked her to share because her and I are completely different in how we think through things and process information. Um, so although she has the three steps, she has made it her own in a different way than what I do. So I wanna give you guys some, some different insights and things like that. So Kendra, if you can come up here. Okay, so I'm Kendra, I'm very normal. Thank you, that was like overemphasized. I'm normal, <laughs> I'm a normal person. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I am normal, I'm not used to doing this. I'm, I'm a teacher, so I teach first graders. So I'm not used to talking to adults. So yeah, I don't like doing this. Like he enjoys this and talking to adults. I get red and clammy. And so this is not what I enjoy doing, but um, I felt like God was calling me to do this. So this is what I am here to do today and share. Um, so I'm a teacher. I have two preschool age kids at home, three and a half and four. They're very tough right now. They're very bad. Um, we don't know what we're doing, but the Lord is giving us grace upon grace upon grace every day. Uh, so that's kind of my life right now. I'm teaching from home online. So that's how I'm using um, my career right now while I'm home with my kids. I minister with Travis um, at the church and in our home and welcoming others in. And um, those are kind of some things I enjoy. So. Um, that's our stage of life now. So at every stage of life, I feel like I have studied the Bible a different way. And so the way I study the Bible now looks very different than it used to. So I used to have hours upon hours when it was just myself before I was married or then when I was married and no kids to study the word and go to Bible studies and talk to others. And I just don't have that time now. And so my time in the word looks very different right now, but it's also very necessary. So I will say the one thing that has sustained me throughout my life has been God's word. It, it hasn't been coming to church. It hasn't been marriage. It hasn't been friends. It hasn't been kids. It's been the word of God. And through the word of God, I have come to know Jesus and I've come to know life and I have come to know hope. And I would not have known that and unless I studied the word. Um, and so that's why I do, that's why I study scripture, is because it is life to me. And so there were times in my life um, where grief was very heavy. I lost uh, a parent, my dad, at nine. So I grew up in a single parent family, just my mom. 
and then I got married and I was from Texas and I moved to Georgia and I'm very close to my mom. It was just her and I growing up and um, very close-knit family and I come here and it's just my husband and I with some of his family and so that's hard so I went through a stage of grief with that and then we wanted a family and we tried and tried and it just didn't happen it didn't happen a miscarriage after miscarriage so through those um, stages of grief and sometimes they come back um, God has shown me through his word that he is the bread of life I feel like I know what that means because that's all I had to stand on in those moments. And so right now, he's still all I have to stand on. It's just different. I'm not going through grief. I'm not going through that type of suffering right now. I'm going through different struggles and sins in my life as a mom, um, as a wife, as a, a, a neighbor, a friend, a pastor's wife. There's different struggles and still the word of God sustains me and Jesus sustains me. So that's why I still study scripture and no matter what season I'm in, I need it. And um, he has taught me that learning scripture through my mind, renewing my mind, um, that's how he changes my heart. And then out of my heart flows truth um, that I speak to myself and to my children and others around me. So um, that, that's why the word of God is important to me. And I have a different process now than I used to have. So up until a couple years ago, every January, I would... Um, look at a list online or like go to Lifeway. Lifeway was open and I would pick out Bible studies that I wanted to do for the entire year. So I would save my Christmas money and I would get Bible studies for the year with my Christmas money and that's would be, that would be like my Bible plan. And I would do that by myself or I would do that with friends in my home or a Bible study at the church. Um, and they were things like, I hope that doesn't fall, um, like Restless by Jenny Allen which is a really good Bible study and it talks about the, the life of Joseph. And so it goes through books of the Bible. And then I would think you would go through um, Beth Moore's Paul study and this goes through the book of Romans. So they were really good Bible studies and I'm, I'm not saying I changed my way because I didn't like this or this wasn't helpful. It really was. <clears throat> and these were books of the Bible that I studied. It wasn't like a you know, topical study on like love or parenting or something like that. It was actually the word of God I was studying. But I just found that I couldn't remember what I had learned. Like six months would pass and I'm like, oh, what was that Bible study about? I can't remember. And so I thought, okay, I need a new way. I need a new way so that I know the word of God. And, and honestly, we, we adopted and, and we were able to have a child. And I started, you know, thinking like, how, how am I going to teach my children that I have all day in my home about the Bible if I don't know the Bible? And so that was really convicting to me of like, what in the world have I done? I've wasted all this time. Um, so that's when I started searching for like, what's a new way that I can study scripture? And so Travis encouraged me to try this new method that he's been teaching. And um, I ordered Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin. I think Travis showed, us, showed it last week. Um, it was very beneficial and influential to me in, in starting this new journey. And I would recommend it to everyone, even the men. Um, it doesn't talk about like weird women stuff. I don't even know why she wrote <laughs> women of the word. Like I really wish she would have written people of the word because it really is beneficial to men and women. So that's just a plug for this book. But anyways, this is what I read and it really changed my mind of like going on this new journey of how to study scripture. So um, I would recommend to get this book or borrow it from one of us. Um, and in this book, she just talks about that 
you know, we go, th we go to conferences or like we sit in church and we're like, oh, that feels good. Like, I feel like I need to serve others more. I feel like I need to whatever. And that's a feeling and God does change our emotions and does change our heart, but it should be through the renewing of our mind that changes our heart. And then out of the overflow is actions and changed emotions and um, more self-control to say no to sin and to run to Christ. And so I um, just learned from her in that book that it really is renewing my mind and like learning information from the Bible that's going to, you know, produce heart change. Like I get angry at my kids like probably six, seven, maybe 10, 15 times a day. It's like, oh, why can I just stop? Like, why can I not have patience or self-control? What, you know, what can I do? Like, what's a one, two, three step? There's no one, two, three step. Like, it's just learning God's word and, and he's going to change my heart. Like, it's, you know, it's nothing, it's not like a step. So that's why I wanted to um, change my process and renew my mind. So she talks about that in that book. Um, so when I study scripture in this new way that I started two years ago, I have to have a plan. So I am very organized, very structured. I'm a little rigid and I have to have a plan or I just feel like overwhelmed. Um, so like, you know, this information is easy for like Travis or someone like him to just be like, oh, boom, go. I can't do that. I have to like make it my own, make a plan and like practice it. So what I did two years ago after I read Women of the Word is I decided I'm going to read Philippians with this new way, observe, interpret, apply. And I'm going to study it because it's only a um, four chapter book. So it's short and I can do it in six weeks and it's a little easy to understand, easier than some of the other books of the Bible. So I chose that. And what I did was I, my study Bible, please. Thank you, my assistant, my normal assistant. I, um, I got my ESV study Bible. <laughs> um, and I opened up to the beginning of Philippians. So to the first page, like he shared last week, there's an introduction. And in this introduction, it has a uh, outline, I guess you will say. So I looked at the outline and I am so structured and scheduled. I had to know like what section I was doing on what day. So he says he does, you know, it took a week and a half for one through 18. Like maybe I will do that eventually. I'll get to be like that fluid, but then and now I have to plan out what section I'm studying each day. So I um, made a chart, Philippians, like literally day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, that's week one. So I wrote out what I was doing, like chapter one, one through 11 on day one, on day four, uh, chapter 1, 12 through 18. So I looked in this introduction of my study Bible and it had an outline and I chunked that whole book of Philippians based on that. Um, and he talked about this a little bit last week too, that you can just look at the outline and it has it like lined out for you. So after I did that, I made my schedule and then I um, printed. So I went to BibleGateway.com and I printed the whole book of Philippians on piece of paper and I stapled it. Oh, I, I copied and pasted it into Word and I um, printed it and stapled it. And I bought a pretty folder, which I can't pick up their stuff on it, but I bought a pretty folder and I put everything in it. And then I went to risenmotherhood.com and I printed this little bookmark that has observe, interpret, apply to remind me the steps. 
and it, they also have this like one pager that's kind of a summary of everything that Travis taught on and he's going to give you something like this next week like a one page thing that you can keep out instead of like the 15 page packet that he gave you could just look through this each day um, so that's all I needed to start oh and I bought a journal so I bought a journal specifically for um, studying the Word of God so I have a journal for my personal Bible study I have a journal for church sermons, I have a prayer journal and a scripture memory journal. That's just how my brain is organized. You may have one for all and that's fine. This is how I do it. So I started out um, with all of my supplies and then I was ready to begin. And um, can you pull up the picture of the phone? So I, okay, so I also, um, I don't even know what it's called because I don't know technology, but in a square, a folder, I guess you will say, on my phone, I added the dictionary app, the Holy Bible app, and the ESV Bible app, and I labeled it Bible study, and that's what I use literally every single day. I don't use my computer. Everything I use is on my phone to study the Word. So, for day one, very first day, day one, I write on my schedule, read, and I read every day, day one, week one, week two, week three, week four, week five, week six, I read the entire book of Philippians or whatever book I'm studying. And so by the time when I'm finished, so this one, it took me six weeks to do Philippians, I had read it six times. So a lot of it I had memorized, like not intentionally, but just because I had read it so many times, it was just coming to mind quickly and easily. Um, and so I would read the entire thing and then I would close my Bible and I would pray and I would do my scripture memory for the day and I'd be done. And then the next day, day two, um, I would start observe. So I would get out uh, this, what I printed, and I would get out, I even have a bag for my pens, you guys. I have a lot of things that I carry around with me. So my bag of pens. And I would start doing all of the steps, like labeling words that I don't know, writing themes down, like I have I have joy written down. I have question mark, look, what happened? Question mark, righteousness, all these things written on my paper. So that's what I did for day one for chapter one, verses one through 11. So that was my observe. Then after I read it and I annotated, I went to my, not that yet, the, um, the phone. Yep, I went to the phone and I looked up words that I didn't know in the dictionary and then I went to the Holy Bible app. And so on that app, you can do it from Bible Gateway like you showed, but like I said, I don't get my computer out. I actually didn't even have a laptop in our house until like six months ago, until I needed it for work. So I, we didn't have a computer. <laughs> so I used my phone and looked at the um, Holy Bible app and you could go to the King James, you can go to the CSB, you can go to the whatever translation you want. And I would read it in my ESV and then I would read two more to like know what I'm, what if I'm understanding correctly across the different translations. So after I did that, then I would get out my journal and I literally wrote in my journal. Uh, you can, yeah, now you can show that, please. Thank you. Yeah, I literally wrote observe. That's, I'm just very, I have to have structure. So Philippians and then the section I'm on, that's actually like, um, the, that's the next section, but one through 11 is right here, observe. And I wrote down what I saw like what words meant, I, themes that I, that I um, read, like joy, or uh, this is pointing to Christ, or God provides, things like that I wrote down and observe. Then I would 
then that was it for the day because that was a lot. That took a really long time to read it, read that section, 1 through 11, annotate, check all of the different translations and cross-references. So I would do the cross-references too um, on the observe portion. And then I would close my journal, close my Bible. I would do my prayer time. I have a prayer binder and I like keep track of things I've been praying for and like what God answers, things like that. And then I would do my scripture memory because I learned by writing down. So I would do that, like whatever I'm memorizing, write it down. And then I was done for the day. So then I would pick back up the next day, which is essentially day three on my schedule. And um, I'm still on chapter one sections or verses one through 11. So this is like day two of studying that because I haven't been to interpret yet. So on my interpret, I would read the section again and then I would write in my journal, interpret, yep. I would write what I learned and I would think about what was, like he just said tonight, what was the context back then? What does it mean to me now? Uh, what would the original hearers have thought? What does it mean in the meta narrative of scripture, creation, fall, redemption, restoration? Where does this fall? What is this pointing to? I would write those things under interpret. And then, so where it says like in my own words, I would paraphrase. Um, and so as a teacher, I know if you can write something in your own words and summarize or paraphrase, that means you understand it and you can come to some meaning on your own from it. So I would do that to test myself. Then I was ready to move on. So on the same day, so essentially day three of my week, but it's day two of that section, I would write apply in my journal. Yep. And I didn't realize people could like read all that. So I'm not sure what we should show all that. But <laughs> There's some personal things in there. I didn't realize it was that clear. So apply. I would write who God is, uh, my sin and need for a savior, and then transform my life today. So I would answer these questions based on that section verses 1 through 11, what does it tell me about who God is? So, you know, there are times like, okay, God is providing. God is always going to provide for me no matter what is going on. He is my sustainer. My sin and need for a Savior. What does this tell me about my sin? What do I need to change? And then transform my life today. I'd usually write a prayer. You know, God, please help me. This is what I know I need to change. Kind of like next steps. And then after that, I bought a Philippians commentary uh, Actually, Travis helped me pick it out, but you go, to, you could go to that website, the you know BibleCommentaries.com, or Best Commentaries, whatever it is. Use one of these, the, the God's Word for You series. They're awesome. So you could look on that list, pick out what you want, order it. There's no Lifeway anymore, so um, order that on Amazon um, or ChristianBook.com. Yeah, and I would read through the commentary. Then after I finished, observe, interpret, and apply for that entire section, then I would go to the commentaries and I would write additional thoughts. And, and it, usually I did miss things because I, this isn't my background, I didn't go to school for this. You know, this is just me, and a normal person reading the Word of God, understanding it on my own. So then I would read somebody else's perspective that is a professional in this and know, um, you know what I miss, and I would write that down and take notes. After that, I would meet with a friend who was also going through it, so I gave her the same schedule, and we were going through the exact verses the exact same week, and we'd talk about it, and it was really cool to learn like what she was going through um, and what she was reading and compare it to what I was learning, and it's just like, like we talked about, studying in community is important. And so, not that we did a Bible study together, we did it on our own, as our own personal time, but we would talk about it together after. 
Um, so that, that is my method as of the past two years. That's kind of how I took this information from Women of the Word and through you know, everything that Travis has taught and kind of made it my own. This is what works for me. I'm very type A, um, very you know, structured. So for me, this works. For other people, that's not gonna work for you. Um, but the point is to find your own method and to stick with it and enjoy it. Enjoy the Word of God because um, it is life-giving and it, it's actually the only thing that's life-giving, the only thing that can give us hope and it's the only thing that never changes is God's Word because God never changes. So um, that's why we should study Scripture. And if this you know, doesn't work for you, you don't want to come up with your own, we've made some templates that you can use. You can copy and like fill in um, you can fill in on your own. You can like punch holes, put them in a three ring binder, or you could just see what it, what it would look like and what you can make your own journal be. We also created this um, thing at the front. This is called the meta narrative of scripture. And it's just like, what is God's story? So creation, God created man in his image, fall, sin entered the world, redemption, Jesus redeems man, and restorations, when Jesus comes back, God makes all things new. So you can kind of look at this as you're studying scripture and know where what you're reading, where does it fall. Um, so that's just my encouragement. No matter the whatever your way your brain thinks or how you process information, just be in the Lord and read it for all it's worth. I finished a book a couple months ago called Gospel Fluency. I actually listen to the audiobook but he has a paper book so it's gospel fluency by jeff vanderstelt and the whole point of the book is that um, you can serve others and you can show them christ like you can rake your neighbor's leaves and that's going to mean a lot to them but by you raking them their leaves and serving them they're not necessarily going to know i want to know jesus because <laughs> you raked my leaves you know they're going to think that's a really nice thing wow i want to get to know that person more but at the end of the day our goal as Christians is to share truth with those around us. And if we don't know truth, we can't share it. And truth is what sets us free. And so for us to learn the Bible and learn scripture and learn the gospel is essential in changing who we are to become more like Christ and image bearers and also to help others know Christ and be image bearers. You know, our children, our neighbors, our community, our coworkers. Um, so I would just encourage you, whatever your method is, probably not going to be like mine. It may not be like Travis's either. Whatever it is, just find your own way and stick with it. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So yeah, that's, uh, thank you so much. That was perfect. Um, and again, like she said, it, it's, it, this is all about, uh, my goal is giving you tools and then you making it your own. Um, so this, that's Kinder's method. Um, again, we gave you some templates in there. If you want to walk through the three steps, if this is brand new to you, I would really recommend utilizing that. If you want PDFs of those, I can email them to you. Um, just reach out, let me know. Um, or you can just, you know, buy a journal and write it in or type it out on a Word document. Whatever works for you. Um, I, I'll show you kind of what I do. Um, so Kendra's got her pretty little bag of pens and things. I have that too. I just use colored pencils. Um, and that's so I can erase it. Um, if I like say I'm like, oh, I didn't like that to go back and I'm a terrible speller. So then I can look up how to spell words and, and spell it correctly. Um, so like I told you guys last week, I bought this journaling Bible recently to help make these notes for comprehension, um, for observation and interpretation. I do that a lot in my journaling Bible. Um, and this just helps me as I'm looking through things to know what stood out, 
Um, again, like the, the colors don't mean anything. I just kind of have them lined out and I alternate. I'll pick one up, I'll do it, I'll put it towards the end of the pile, and then I'll go to the next color. Like it just, it doesn't, they have no meaning whatsoever. It's just to help my eyes focus on different aspects of the text. Um, these journaling Bibles are really helpful because it's got little columns where I can make some notes. I don't make a ton of notes in here because again, it would just fill everything up. Um, and again, I, I wrote in pencil so I could go back if I want to rewrite something in a different section that stood out, you know. A couple years from now, I can erase it and write again. Um, but I do a lot of like actual note taking um, in my journal, so that's kind of a close up um, of what I kind of do. Um, so it's really just helping you see the details, uh, know what stands out. Um, I would really encourage you take notes. Um, take notes as you're learning. It's just so easy to pick it up. We read a few verses, we close our Bible, we pray for a few minutes, and we move on about our days that is not going to make us more like Jesus. You can get some good stuff and, and praise the Lord. You guys are here to Emmaus um, because we, I, in my opinion, I think we do it the way it should be done, which is preaching verse by verse through books of the Bible and going deep into it. So I'm glad you're here. And if all you're getting is Sunday sermons, at least you're getting something. Um, but you need more. We need more of God's word. We can never get enough of God's word. So dig deep. Do the hard work of understanding scripture, uh, of reading and interpreting and understanding your word. Let it sink deep into your hearts um, to affect your life. Don't walk away from a passage without knowing, here's what I can walk away from today. Here's what I can use in my life today from what I, I read. Um, and that, that's, again, why I spent so much time um, in Luke 16, because I want to understand what this meant for me and how I can apply it to my life. Um, I am not a structured person, so I can just kind of, hey, I'll spend, I've been, it's almost a year now that I've spent in Luke, and I'm only at the end of, I'm starting 17 now, um, and there's like 24 chapters in Luke, so it's not super long, but it, it would not normally take somebody a year, but like, I'm not a structured person. I'm a very gray person. I'm not black and white. I'm not structured. I'm not type A at all. It's very fluid with me. Um, I function best when there's no rules, so that's how I, I live uh, in my life, um, so that's why it's a little less, uh, you know, structured. Um, with what might work for you. But again, the point is you take these tools, you take the framework that we've built so far and make it your own. Do what works for you. If journaling works, awesome. If it doesn't, that's fine. Um, if walking through these steps in a specific order and whatever, do that. Do whatever works for you to understand God's word and have it impact your life, okay? All right, so we've got a few minutes. If you wanna ask any questions, uh, we'll open it up for questions. And if not, we will we'll pray and move on about our lives. Any questions? Yes, Randy. You have 10 questions? That's too many. You can ask nine. I noticed when I'm, especially I'm hearing through one of the major prophets or something, there are changes in genres. Yes, there are. Quite a few. Yep. And sometimes there's a dual genres going on. Uh huh, yeah. Prophetic. Yeah. That's kind of things. Absolutely. How much would you say you, how long do you need to kind of? really put that in your mind until you just sometimes I don't recognize until after I'm reading it for a while I'm like, yeah. there's something strange here about yeah. this and this this doesn't seem literal or narrative anymore. Right. I need to go back and just a true story yeah. just to put into a uh, parable sort of. Mm -hmm. Like say for example Ezekiel. Yeah. Which is a really fun book. Yeah. Very fun. Yes. But anyway, um, it's got a lot of that. Mm -hmm. It's got like parables that are prophetic but yet poetry yeah. Yeah, and a ton of narrative too. Yeah. But anyway, how does someone work through that? How important is it to know the genre at that point? Yeah, I mean, so 
Uh, yeah, you're talking to the wrong person because I would say go really deep into the genre because I think that's a big deal. Um, but yeah, in in terms of studying, um, when it is fluid like that, practice is going to help you. Um, so the more you read, the more you're going to know. Um, with Ezekiel, it is tough because so much of his visions are tied up in that specific narrative of what's happening. So Ezekiel is really tough. Um, so I don't have a good answer for you for Ezekiel other than good luck because um, it's just tough. Um, it is. Um, so, but thankfully, like when you do open up scripture, um, what the translators have done is they'll put, um, like, you know, when you look at Psalms and then you look at Genesis, it looks different in your Bible. Have you noticed that? Um, what they've done is they've taken prophecy and poetry and they've put it in a different format so it stands out. So that's prose essentially is what we're talking about here. Um, so that's kind of when you sh see a shift in how the lines of text look, that's a big clue. So that's a helpful clue. Again, Ezekiel stuff because it's all fluid in Ezekiel. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry, but it's yeah. Um, yeah. And Isaiah is a really good one that has a lot of narrative and it has a lot of prophecy in it. And, and again, you can see it with the lines of text when they're normal. That's usually narrative when they're in prose and there's lots of space in between. That's typically poetry or prophecy. Um, and that's where those things that I gave you at the end of that are going to become really helpful. Um, and again, it's just, it's practice. It's reading your Bible, in my opinion, of knowing, okay, this is different. There's, like you said, you're going to read and you're going to, okay, things sound different. This is weird now, or this is unusual. This is not what was happening. Let me back up and see what's going on. Um, a lot of times in prophecy, it will help you out when it says, uh, the Lord said to tell people this, thus says the Lord essentially is the old school way of saying that, or the word, or the Lord told me to tell you guys these things. Like that's typically prophecy that should clue you in. Okay, there's been a shift now. Um, some other clues, and these are context clues that you get by reading, um, especially in the parables, uh, when Jesus says there once was, or there was a blah, 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 blah. Um, that's a parable. Sometimes he sets it up like it, and it's clear that it's a parable. Other times it's a little more fluid. Like at the end of Luke 16, there's a parable of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. If you've heard that, it doesn't say specifically this is a parable. Jesus said this parable, but he starts out, there was a man, there was a rich man. When you see that there was a blah, blah, blah with Jesus talking, that's a parable. That, that's a context clue that you pick up by reading and reading and reading and spending time with the word. So spend time with the word. Um, use context clues like Randy was talking about when you see things shift and like, okay, this is different now. Um, and then you can use that packet that I gave you. And I'm, I'm with Kendra. I don't expect you to like carry that packet around in your Bible all day long. It's a thick packet. I get that. My hope was to give you as much information as possible to help you build this framework and make it your own. Um, but utilize that genre guideline and then you can go, okay, so Isaiah was talking about, you know, some things going on with King Hezekiah. And that's a big narrative chunk in Isaiah is with Hezekiah. Um, but now it's, it's into prophecy. Okay, well, let me, let me flip through that. Okay, Old Testament prophecy, let me read how to understand that. And then hopefully that can help you. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, and, and he's right, and, and I have that in there, like, um, I, it's not perfect, the genre breakdown that I gave you, because, like, I think Exodus might be under the, I'm just going to look at it, so I'm not looking stuff up. Um, so I have it broken down into which books fit where, um, but I put Exodus with narrative. Well, as you're finding out in our Exodus series, there's a chunk of law that we're in right now, and it lasts a few chapters. It's not the entire book of Exodus. It's not the entire back half of Exodus. But there is a good chunk of 10 chapters or so that are Old Testament law. So the rest of it's narrative. 
that part's law and you interpret accordingly. And that genre guide will help you with that. Um, so there is some overlap and you'll find that as you read and as you walk through things. Um, and even Deuteronomy, there's some prophecy mixed in with the law. So yeah, just keep that in mind. Um, a really helpful book if you want one on genre and interpreting according to genre um, are these two right here that I have. Um, how to read the Bible for all it's worth, and 40 questions about interpreting the Bible. Um, that's a lot of good genre stuff in here. And if you really want to nerd out on the biblical prophets, this book is amazing. It's by Peter Gentry. He's this incredible Old Testament scholar um, at a Southern Theological Seminary. Um, it's awesome. It's a short read, but he's he can get pretty academic, so just you know keep that in mind. Um, but it's really good. Helped me understand a lot about the biblical prophets that I didn't know before. So this is an awesome book if you want to study the Old Testament prophets. Um, so yeah, there's helpful resources up here to check out, but that was a great question. Any other questions? You had another one? You really did have 10, didn't you? Just a comment about another book that I think would, when you were talking about the, the different uh, ways in which we context one verse, mm -hmm. pull a lot of stuff out of one verse that's not necessarily. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a pretty good, it's not a hard read. Yeah. Um, and he does a good job. Actually, he, he, he talks, he summarizes some of those things that you did. Nice. But he kind of talks about also uh, understanding what may look like in some people's eyes uh, where two passages seem to conflict. Mm -hmm. He talks about how you look at those conflicting. Yeah. And how they really don't conflict if you have the right perspective. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And yeah, point of view, that's especially helpful when you're reading the Gospels because, again, you'll get two stories that are similar, but they're different. And just think about, like, if I told you guys a story and I asked two of you to retell the story that I just told you, you would probably say it in different ways. They would both probably be accurate or close enough, but they would be done in different ways. So that's helpful to remember. It's not like, oh, this person's wrong. And that's, you know, non-Christians love to point out the contradictions. Like, well, this person said this and this person over here said that. It's like, eh, you know. Is that a detail that matters? Probably not. So let's focus on the main point. Um, but yeah, that's a great point, Randy. It's good. Any other questions? No. All right. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll dive into meditation and prayer next week. Uh, Jesus, thank you again for this time. I thank you for the folks that are in here, Lord. Uh, continue to teach us your word. Continue to give us uh, a heart for you, a desire for you, a discipline uh, to spend the time to dig deep into your word, Lord, because there's so much good stuff there. So Jesus, I pray these folks as they go about their days and their lives and the weeks ahead, Lord, as they put some of these things into practice, give them strength, give them resolve. Uh, Lord, give them insight and wisdom into your mind and into your word, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you guys for coming. Uh, feel free to check out any resources and things up here if you want to.